You're listening to Food Integrity Now with your host, Carol Gravey. Jeffrey, welcome to Food Integrity Now. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have the expert on. You know, there's nobody I'd rather discuss this subject with than you. Let's start out, Jeffrey. I want to just read your bio so people can know a little bit more about you. You're pretty well known, but you've done a lot of things. So uh, Jeffrey Smith is a best-selling author, award-winning filmmaker, celebrated public speaker. His work has influenced the behavior and health of millions of people worldwide. He is the founder and executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology. He's a best-selling author, award-winning filmmaker, as a global thought leader on the health dangers of genetically modified organisms for over 27 years. Jeffrey Smith has authored two bestsellers, directed five documentaries, delivered 2,000 lectures, and interviews in 45 countries trained 1,500 speakers, and organized more than 10,000 grassroots advocates. Jeffrey has counseled world leaders on six continents, and his meticulous research presented at medical conferences inspired thousands to prescribe a non-GMO and organic diet. The success of the GMO education movement he pioneered is measured in part by the 48% of world consumers who acknowledge GMOs are unhealthy. Jeffrey and IRT are now sounding the alarm on the new genetic engineering techniques, such as gene editing. Unregulated GMO 2.0 can cause health and environmental disasters. The most urgent disaster comes from genetically engineered microbes. Jeffrey is stewarding a global effort to prevent their release. Wow, Jeffrey, you are a busy man. (laughs) Yeah, I started 27 years ago on this project and decided to help out a little. (laughs) Help out a little, yeah. You know, I'm curious, before we get started, um, what prompted you to do this work 27 years ago? Well, I was a chronic do-gooder and figuring out ways to help the world, and when I heard a lecture from a genetic engineer blowing the whistle on this technology, saying that it could affect everyone who eats and all living beings because it's going to be in the food supply that year, 1996, and that Monsanto could not determine that the foods were safe. No one could because the technology was prone to unpredictable side effects that no one could guard against completely and that the technique was going to create organisms that were not recallable from the environment, so it would be with civilization for future generations, I realized it was an A-plus priority. Now, my background is in education and marketing and communications, strategic communications, and I was thinking, this needs to be told. This story needs to be told. And I liked the scientist, but he was not the communicator that I was like, okay, he'll handle it. He was a scientist, and so I decided, why don't I interview him and other scientists and convert that science into English and share it and target it? And that led me ultimately to uh, write the the book Seeds of Deception and then Genetic Roulette and do all that other stuff, basically 
getting the word out in a strategic way to protect against the plans by Monsanto, which was to genetically engineer 100% of all commercial seeds in the world and patent them long by this time. So we've been able to maintain uh, kind of a constraint on GMOs up to this point, about 12 GMO food crops commercialized. Uh, and of course, GMO 2.0 now presents opportunities for them to to introduce all sorts of GMOs beyond what we've been able to to uh, limit it to. But we can get into that. Yeah. Well, I you know I know that many people don't really understand or or just aren't aware of GMOs 2.0, mm-hmm. and it's my understanding they've already been approved. And so it's something that we really need to be aware of. But before we get into that fully, I'd like you to just kind of back, backtrack, not even backtrack, that's not the right word, but explain a little bit more fully about just GMOs in general. Well, genetic engineering is where you artificially alter the DNA. You can put genes from other species into it. You can change the order of genes, you can delete, add, multiply. And these laboratory techniques create massive collateral damage, side effects, unpredictable outcomes. Now, the two main reasons they genetically engineer crops so far uh, were to allow those crops to be sprayed with Roundup. Monsanto had Roundup herbicide as their best-selling herbicide in the world. Glyphosate, the chief poison in Roundup, was going off patent in 2000. So they created Roundup-ready crops and sold them to farmers saying two things. One, if you use a Roundup-ready soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, or alfalfa, you can spray right over the crops and you'll kill the weeds, but you won't kill the crops. Usually they would die if you just sprayed Roundup on it, but not these GMOs. Second, you could only buy and use Monsanto's variety of glyphosate-based herbicide. So it was a way to sell more herbicide. Then some of the crops were also designed to produce a toxic insecticide. Corn was designed to kill the European corn borer. Cotton was designed to kill cotton, a cotton insect. There's a soybean in South America that kills a soy insect. So I'll share a screen here, which basically we look at, we've looked at for years, there's three culprits, the GMOs and the damage that it does and the toxins it can produce, allergens, toxins, new diseases and nutritional problems, the Roundup and the diseases and damage that it produces and the BT toxin. Now I'm gonna share with you some correlational charts, which are kind of mind blowing And I have to, on the one hand, downplay them, and on the other hand, amplify them. So I'm going to, this is inflammatory bowel disease, where it's charted against the amount of glyphosate sprayed on corn and soy, which means basically when Roundup-ready corn and soy came on the scene, the amount of glyphosate was increased dramatically and went up in this very steep slope. And so too, did inflammatory bowel disease. Now, this is two things that happen at the same time. It's a correlation. It doesn't prove causation, but all of the diseases that I'm about to show you 
have so many other supporting data that it leans in the direction or actually creates a convincing case for scientists and physicians that it is in fact causal. And we'll give an example of one of those categories of diseases and some of the evidence, additional evidence that support a causal relationship. In fact, we'll pick digestive disorders. But what I wanna do is to take about 90 seconds and just name the different diseases that are rising in parallel with the increased use of Roundup on our food supply or the increased use of GMOs. This is inflammatory bowel disease. This is deaths from obesity. And on this chart, you have the white line, which is the glyphosate on soy and corn, the black line, which is simply the percentage of corn and soy that's genetically engineered. And then you have a red line way below the increased slope, which is the trend line. What would it have been had there been no added environmental insult to cause an increase death from obesity? We're not saying that GMOs and Roundup are the only causal factor that's creating the skyrocketing conditions, but I believe it is a major factor. So I'm going to just take 90 seconds. I'm going to read the diseases, and those who are watching can just notice how close the parallel is between the rise of the disease and the rise of GMOs or Roundup. So we have anxiety, diabetes, deaths from Alzheimer's, deaths from Parkinson's, deaths from hypertension, autism in six-year-olds, insomnia, celiac disease, acute kidney injury, death from kidney failure, kidney and pelvic cancer, liver cancer, liver and bile duct cancer, thyroid cancer, deaths from leukemia, breast cancer, deaths from intestinal infection, deaths from disorders of lipoprotein metabolism, peritonitis, hepatitis C, dementia, deaths from senile dementia, ADHD, schizophrenia, suicide by overdose, congenital birth defects, congenital heart defects, newborn metabolic disorders, newborn genitourinary disorders, skin disorders, newborns with lung conditions, newborns with eye disorders, immune-related newborn blood disorders, anemia, lymph disorders, and deaths due to stroke. All of those show a very tight correlation between the rise of either glyphosate sprayed on corn and soy, the percentage of corn and soy, and that particular disease. Now, we have 28 different conditions on top of those where people reported getting better from when they switched to non-GMO and largely organic food. Digestion, fatigue, obesity, brain fog, anxiety, depression, food allergies, memory and concentration, joint pain, seasonal allergies, gluten sensitivities, insomnia, etc. Now, so now we have two supportive lines of evidence. We have the correlation and we have the reports from individuals and their doctors of conditions that get better when they get off of GMOs and Roundup. But we also have, in some cases, clear modes of action. I ended with insomnia. 
33% of the people who switched to non-GMO and largely organic foods in this survey of 3,256 people, so it was 1,000 people, they, they got better from insomnia. And we also saw a rise in insomnia in the U.S. population in correlation with the increased use of Roundup. So how could Roundup create insomnia? Well, when Monsanto released glyphosate-based herbicide, Roundup, they said what it does is it blocks the shikimate pathway in plants to kill them, but because humans have no shikimate pathway, we're safe. No, they were lying and they got sued and had to pay tens of millions of dollars because of lying. Now, it's true that our cells don't use the shikimate pathway, but they knew that our gut bacteria used the shikimate pathway, and it was very important for our health. It created L-tryptophan, which was needed to create the serotonin neurotransmitter, which was converted into melatonin, which governs sleep. So if you don't have enough L-tryptophan because you're blocking the shikimate pathway, you can end up with insomnia without enough serotonin. And also there's dopamine that can be blocked in its creation. You end up with all sorts of mental diseases, things that we talked about, anxiety, depression, ADHD. We have very specific modes of action that we can describe, particularly from glyphosate, because more research has been done on that as compared to the research, the scant research, which has been on GMOs. But even that's been showing significant issues. So we have the epidemiological evidence. We have lab animal research. We have human reports. We have reports on livestock and pets, both from the doctors and from the farmers and pet owners. And, with, and these correlate with the same type of diseases that we're seeing. Now, if we have time right now, Carol, I'd just like to pick the category that's always the number one reported benefit. When people are asked at, at 150 lectures, what did you notice when you switched to non-GMO and organic? There's always someone that reports bowel dysfunction or bloating or GERD, food allergies, IBS, intestinal infections, something. And I say, okay, how many others noticed a problem with digestion? And the number of hands are always higher than any other category. So I just want to give you an example of just one category of the converging lines of evidence supporting the causality between GMOs and Roundup and this particular disorder. And of course, digestion sits at the basis of so many other disorders. Shall we go into this? Yes, absolutely. So I published the survey in it was peer-reviewed in the International Journal of Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine. And part three was just to focus on the digestive orders, disorders, since a full 85.2% of the respondents described getting better in that. And we looked at some of the uh, charts, peritonitis, inflammatory bowel disease, and intestinal infection. The animal feeding studies show clear evidence of gastrointestinal distress. Changes in the stomach inflammation, lesions, excessive growth, reduced ability to digest. One study 
from a dear friend of mine, Dr. Arpad Pustai, who passed uh, since this came out a long time ago, um, found there was potentially precancerous cell growth in the digestive tract. The intestinal walls were dramatically increased in their size in the GM-fed animals. Stomach lining was even more. We have the damaged intestines of rats that were fed BT corn. We have damaged intestines of mice that were fed BT potatoes and natural BT toxin. BT is what's used to in the corn, for example, to kill insects. What it does is it pokes holes in the gut walls of the insects to kill them. And it turns out in high concentrations in humans, in, in human cells and laboratories, it pokes the same type of holes in the human cells. There's also correlations between BT corn and irritable bowel, inflammatory bowel disease, and functional bowel disorders and BT corn. Livestock has been reported as suffering from diarrhea, gut bacterial imbalance, intestinal damage. I have all sorts of evidence. One friend of mine from Denmark had a big farm with pigs, switched to non-GMO soy, never told his farmhand. Two days later, the farmhand came and said, you changed the feed. He said, uh-oh, what happened? He said, no more diarrhea. For two was years, that Ib, Ib Peterson? Or yes, Peterson? it was. Yeah, Ib. I interviewed him many yeah, years absolutely. ago. Yeah, Ib said that he was actually worried when the farmhand said that you changed your feed, but he'd been losing uh, piglets to to intractable diarrhea for two years. It went away in two days with non-GMO corn, uh, non-GMO uh, soybeans. Here's a, a study from two friends of mine, Judy Carmen and Howard Vlieger. They basically picked non-GMO and GMO-fed pigs. They were brought to the slaughterhouse, but arranged with the slaughterhouse to take certain organs out so they could study them. I think it was just the stomach in this case. And the level of inflammation and irritation on the GMO-fed pigs was through the roof compared to the non-GMO. I've also seen, and here's a picture, where the stomach liner color of the cow carcasses was totally different. I interviewed one uh, woman who was, who was on the farm, and she said she could see the butchered cows, and it was so disgusting. The smell was so terrible. The look was so bad. She would never feed her kids at meat from animals that were fed GMOs. When we took an analysis of pet owners, 80 out of 80 pet owners, 81.3% said that their pet's digestion improved. Again, the number one reported benefit when they switched the animals to non-GMO and organic, and it's also the number one human reported benefit, as well as the number one benefit reported by practitioners about their patients. And people described irritable bowel, Crohn's disease, acid reflux, ulcers, gut pain, and bloating. I remember visiting Emily Lindner's practice, Pauline Harding's practice, two doctors from Chicago. I brought a video camera and heard all sorts of improvements in Crohn's disease in three days and irritable bowel in three weeks in one person, six weeks in another. Uh, vast improvements very, very quickly. And the improvements that we got on our survey were dramatic. When I say that 85% of the people got better from digestive, of that, of those people, 
29% said it was significant improvement, 22 nearly gone, and almost 17% complete recovery. So we know that glyphosate damages the microvilli and suppresses digestive enzymes, that it disrupts the microbiome and all sorts of animals, including humans, that the healthy beneficial gut bacteria in our guts are far more sensitive and are more easily killed than glyphosate, which doesn't appear to kill the pathogens. And one study which took a fake human gut and fed it organic food and then put Roundup in it found there were such dramatic changes in it that they could actually predict all of these different diseases that we've already seen just from the gut bacteria alone. So that the glyphosate, by the way, is a ripening agent. It's not just sprayed on Roundup Ready crops. It's sprayed just before harvest as a desiccant on grains and beans, and it's found in a lot of our food supply. So if you want to avoid Roundup, as well as GMOs, you, you buy organic. If you can't buy organic, at least avoid GMOs and then avoid the products that have high levels of glyphosate residues. You can go on our website, responsibletechnology.org, which has the database of all the studies on food, both the, the raw ingredients and also brands to see what level of glyphosate is there. Wow. Well, this is pretty bad with GMOs uh, 1.0. And um, did you ever think that, you know, 27 years later, you'd still be <laughs> talking about GMOs and it's as important, if not more important now than ever? You know, it's actually because of GMO 2.0, it's way worse than ever. Uh, I did not think we would need this long. Um I my strategy was to create a tipping point of consumer rejection, and we figured if five percent of shoppers in regular supermarkets decided not to eat GMOs, they would start buying the products with the non-GMO label. And because using GMOs gave no consumer benefits, Kraft, Nestle's, Unilever, General Foods, the, these General Mills, these companies would not allow their products to lose market share to a non-GMO competitor, and they would kick out GMOs out of the food supply. Well, that happened in a large number of products, even in mainstream, and that's what's kept the number of GMOs low. But with GMO 2.0, especially gene editing, the that's like CRISPR. People have heard of CRISPR. The biotech industry completely lied to governments around the world. And we'll explain what they said and what's actually true in just a moment. But the government said, okay, no testing is necessary on gene editing. No labeling is necessary. You don't even have to tell the government. You can just put GMO 2.0 gene edited products on the market and tell no one. Now, what this means is our food supply could be flooded with GMOs prone to side effects. Now, the lie that the biotech industry told the governments was that it was safe because it was predictable and because it was natural. And it turns out it is entirely unpredictable and unsafe. And although they hijacked a natural mechanism from bacteria, they use it in a very artificial way that could never occur naturally. And they use it in they use it on 
foods that they can put on the market without telling us. The journal Nature described the outcome of CRISPR gene editing studies, three of them, as chromosomal mayhem. On our website, we have a six-minute film called Seven Reasons Why Gene Editing is Dangerous and Unpredictable. Go to responsibletechnology.org and take a look at that six-minute animated film, A Journey Inside the DNA, and you will know more than the regulators around the world. Now, what's interesting is that at the same time it's been deregulated and that it's prone to side effects, it turns out it's cheaper and cheaper to use CRISPR kits. You can buy a basic CRISPR lab for less than $2,000. You can do it in your own home. Wow. More high schools are using CRISPR gene editing. So that means we've given the keys to the kingdoms to everyone. They can not only create... GMOs with no oversight, prone to side effects, that they can release them into the environment where they can never be recalled. So all future generations will be stuck with these biological time bombs. Now, this means that also that we are seeing a gene rush where all these entrepreneurs equipped with this low-cost, easy-to-use CRISPR technology are trying to get their patented GM organism into the environment to change the nature of insects and trees and grasses and fish and livestock and crops. We are incrementally now on a march to replace nature irreversibly. So future generations will not inherit the products of the billions of years of evolution. It reminds me of a quote from an indigenous wise person in the early 90s to a friend of mine. He was warning them that in this century, we might face the end of biological evolution as we know it. That is what we are facing now, an end to biological evolution as we know it. Now that we can easily, on purpose or by accident, redirect the streams of evolution for all time, for all generations, affecting all living beings, we need to make responsible decisions as a civilization. So what are we going to do, Jeffrey? I mean, this is, you know, kind of doom and gloom. I know it's important to talk about, but uh, I'm sure our audience is just thinking, what the <laughs> heck? What do we do? We're going to get a little more doom and gloomy, and then I'll give you the good news at the end. Don't leave okay. in the middle. I know you can do that. I've heard you speak before. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't want people to leave in the middle because without the good news, it's just kind of heavy. Yeah. Our institute was very successful in the first phase. We started 20 years ago, even though I started 27 years ago. I published Seeds of Deception, started the institute uh, in um, 2003. And we accomplished a lot in that time. Um, no one knew what a GMO was. The, the GMO industry had the support of governments and media and academia and farmers, and we were able to convince the top of the food chain consumers a significant number to stop eating GMOs or to try and avoid them, and that's what that essentially saved the day and influenced the health of billions of people in a positive direction. Our strategy is to focus on the most dangerous genetically modified organisms and to bring them under control urgently. 
with absolute immediacy because the potential is devastating. I'm talking about microorganisms. Now, we all know that genetically engineered potential pandemic pathogens could create pandemics. And the movement to ban gain of function of potential pandemic pathogens is wise, but they're overlooking an understanding of biology and microorganisms that is critical. And this is highlighted in another film on our site called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. It's just a 16-minute film, and I interview one of the top soil biologists in the world, Dr. Elaine Ingham. And when she was a professor at Iowa State, at Oregon State University, her graduate student that she was an advisor to was doing research on a genetically engineered microorganism. And I'm not going to go into the details because you can watch the 16-minute film at responsibletechnology.org, but had it been released as planned, it could have theoretically ended terrestrial plant life, destroying basically every single root structure in the soil on the planet. If it survived, if it knocked out its natural parent, if it had a survival advantage. And there's another one in the same film that could have theoretically altered weather patterns. Now, those were GMO microbes that could have been cataclysmic just by doing what they were designed to do, but doing it better in more ecosystems. But microbes not only travel, but they swap genes with other microorganisms. So if you release a genetically engineered microbe for soil remediation, that microbe may end up inside the DNA of bacteria living inside our gut. It might end up inside the DNA of algae or fungus. It, you're changing the nature of nature in a set of kingdoms that are life critical. Up to 80% of human chronic conditions find their source in changes in our gut microbiome. We can outsource up to 90% of our daily metabolic and chemical functions to our microbes living inside us because we co-evolved with them and we work together as a community. The elegance is so astounding. I'll give you the example of what happens with an infant. It is so critical that the microbiome is properly established in the gut of an infant because that can affect that infant's health for the rest of their life. Milk digesting microbes enter the birth canal in the second trimester to inoculate the baby during the birthing process. The first microbes in breast milk take eat up the oxygen in the colon to create an anaerobic uh, environment for bifidobacteria. Uh, much of the milk is not designed to feed the infant. It's designed to feed the microbes. It's indigestible by the infant. If this infant is sick, the microbes in their saliva feedback through the nipple to the mother. The milk changes to treat the disease until the disease or fever or whatever is gone, and then the milk changes back. This micro-Jedi army is working on our behalf at all times and in the soil 
where it sequesters carbon and promotes healthy plants. The fungus between trees, these fungal networks, shuttles nutrients. Algae produces most of the world's oxygen. Now consider if any of these systems gets damaged because of the release of genetically engineered microbes, it can starve our oxygen, stop the carbon sequestration uh, cycle, cause human disease, damage the forests, and it goes on. I just named four areas of the of the impact of more than a trillion microbes, and we've only characterized maybe 1%. Now we're dumping these genetically engineered microbes that we didn't co-evolve with in up to 43 million acres by just two companies that are trying to do something with the soil or seeds. We're giving the CRISPR gene editing kit to high school students more and more, so millions of varieties could be released every year by the tens of millions of high school students assigned to genetically engineer microbes. We have synthetic biology factories that genetically engineer yeast, algae, or bacteria to produce byproducts to consume or industrial enzymes, etc. If that escapes, we change the nature of nature. If that takes up residence into our gut bacteria, our own gut bacteria might be producing industrial enzymes, opiates, all sorts of things that are produced in these synthetic biology plants. It's absolutely catastrophic what we're doing without paying attention. So our institute is is leading the charge to protect the microbiome. Wow. How are we going to do it? That is a great question. (laughs) So we can't use the same theory of change that we did on GMO foods because we're not going to be able to protect the microbiome on consumer choices at the food at the food store. We need actual laws and the laws can't be limited to one country because microbes travel. We all know that it has to be global, it has to be international treaties. So how do you convince lawmakers around the world? We need a very large movement. Fortunately, there are already very large movements and industries and professions that rely on a healthy microbiome. I just got back from the American Academy of Environmental Medicine, where I launched our new healthcare practitioner community, our first natural ally that we're going to. And if you go to the website at responsibletechnology.org and you go to the healthcare practitioner community, you'll see some of the leaders there, Jeff Bland, Tom O'Brien, Joe Pizzorno, Kieran Christian, and others saying, we're defending the microbiome, inviting the practitioners to give financial support, to be educated, to share that education with their patient communities. We're going to the supplement companies to the health care companies, to the natural products industry. They all don't want GMOs. Then there's the regenerative agriculture movement, gaining steam like no one's business. They rely on the microbes in the soil to do the heavy lifting. If those microbes get infiltrated with these Trojan horse genetically engineered varieties and change the nature of nature, you have no idea if the same Regenerative farming techniques will work in the future. 
So they require natural healthy microbes. The drawdown of carbon, the carbon sequestration that's so needed by the movement trying to fight climate change, they need to support a healthy soil microbiome or their goals can be shot. Environmentalists, ocean preservationists, all of these groups require healthy microbiomes and they don't know how endangered the microbiome is. So, <clears throat> so IRT is developing the science <clears throat> irrefutably with experts, creating the mes messaging in a variety of ways, recruiting these natural allies. We will inoculate popular culture and pour all that power of popular culture and of grand coalition and science directed at lawmakers and delegates to international treaties to create new laws and new treaties. Well, there's some hope. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm given heart by my, we just launched the healthcare practitioner program this weekend. Oh, wow. And, exciting. Um, you know, people came up. One person said, I'm going to match $10,000. And another person, you know, people gave money and they said, how can I help? And one person said, well, I'm of a network of 200 uh, doctors and 50,000 patients. And we'd like to get this information out to them. When I invited a couple of experts in regenerative agriculture with me to Washington, D.C., to talk to members of Congress or their staffs and do a live press conference at the National Press Club, there was a lot of positive response. Now, I realized we can't just go incrementally along and go with the same kind of small budget that we operated on for 20 years. If we don't have enough money, we will not be as effective. I mean, we're trying to get laws in place around the world. We need lobbyists, we need films and docu-series and Netflix and HBO and books and celebrity endorsements and scientific articles and white papers and, and all sorts of social media presence. We need a big organizing hub to bring on all of these other movements. So we're an umbrella movement of movements. And without that, we're not going to be successful. So the number one most important move right now is to raise that money. So when we were creating this community hub for healthcare practitioners, we at the same time created one for self-care advocates. So for some small amount of money on our site, they can also get curated assets from our 20 years as leader in educating people about GMOs and Roundup. So I want to encourage your, your listeners to immediately today go to responsibletechnology.org, make a donation. You could go to the scroll down just a little bit and join one of those communities if you're a healthcare practitioner or if you're focused on your own health and get access to those curated educational materials. But that's just a give back. It's not a course where you're paying for a course and saying, okay, let me evaluate the course to see if it's worth it. That's what we give to you as a gift for protecting all living beings and all future generations. That's the real reason why we're inviting people to make a donation and to sign up for our newsletter and share this information and post it on your, on your social media and sign up for our social media and join 
what always turns out to be the driver of change, a small group of people who get it, who align their lives around new principles and understandings, and that becomes the seed crystal that changes the whole collective. And that seems to be how consciousness works. So we're going to take advantage of that. Wow, Jeffrey, that's exciting news. And, you know, it affects every single one of us. So the sense of urgency here is real. And I know you shared a lot of information about gene editing, but there's so much more information on your site. And, uh, you know, people just, the education piece is so important, but the action piece is as important. Educate yourself, share the information, and do what you can. And you need money to do it. Absolutely. I mean, I could simply just put out podcasts like this and wait around and hopefully someone will come with lots of money. But, you know, we're celebrating 20 years and like this year we're we're asking people on our list, could you give 20 bucks a month? And if 20% of the people that have been with us at some point during our, you know, right now, give 20 bucks a month, that's over a million dollars. Wow. So it's like okay. individual- I'm going to challenge all, all of my listeners. First of all, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that as soon as we're done. Thank you. And I'm going to challenge the listeners. This is for your health, the health of your children, your grandchildren, generations to come. Do it. 20 bucks a month for most of us is nothing. I really appreciate that so much, Carol. Yeah, well, it it is. It's a big issue and it's going to take all of us. You're right. It's like one of the issues is that when I talk about a small number of people doing the right thing. Yeah, I want, you know, in order to really change collective consciousness, we want to change humanity's relationship with nature. So we become nature's safeguard so that this threat that even one high school student could accidentally destroy things for all future generations, that threat becomes like one of those prognoses or diagnoses from doctors that turn out to be a blessing because they cause people to change their beliefs, their habits, and their relationships, and then they get better. Yeah. I think that in this case, we want people to change their beliefs, habits, and relationships with nature and not to do it by feeling victim, like a victim, not to do it by feeling sad or angry or whatnot. But to take the responsibility, just as you said, that it's time for us to step up and say, not on our watch. We're the generation that can do the harm. We're the generation that needs to step up and protect it. And it's got to start with me. It's not about giving one's power away and saying, someone else needs to do this and feeling the lack of power and the sense of urgency. But to feel empowered by saying, I'm part of that team. I'm doing it. And I'm letting my friends know in case they also want to step up and have the honor and privilege of being a safeguard protector of nature. Yeah, well said, Jeffrey. And so, again, to my listeners, you know, it starts with you. So take the action and share this with everyone. Uh, go to responsibletechnology.org and sign up and do the right thing for generations to come and for all of us individually right now. 
So Absolutely. thank you for all the great work you do. And, uh, you know, we're just going to continue to follow your work. And um, I'm I'm really glad you're on my team. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad you're on mine, Carol. We've known each other for years. You've always been there. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you again, Jeffrey. It's just been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you.